Hi, my name is Sumi, and I will be interviewing Victor Small Jr. today regarding the restorative justice practices within the education system. Hi, Victor. Um, so tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, what kind of got you into restorative justice? Yeah, so um, right now I'm working as a consultant, but I've been in um, I've been in education as a K to twelve teacher and administrator for a little over a decade. Um, you know, I'm I'm very much an advocate um, of restorative justice practices, just for like I, I want to say the evening of playing field when we're talking about like school discipline and such. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm a pet human like maybe not pet owner i don't like the i don't like the term owner with like stuff like that i don't like owning living breathing things so a pet human um future father um husband sports fanatic definite like big sports fanatic trying my best to like not check the scores on psg playing <laughs> right now with messi uh yeah. struggling <laughs> um, 30 minutes <laughs> man I, mm, mm. um big warriors fan big warriors fan too yeah that's awesome so so what kind of got you you know um you mentioned that you kind of work with the k-12 population for educate within the education system and you've also been, you know, a huge advocate on restorative justice. So what, you know, what kind of brought you into that aspect? Like, was there something in your experiences that brought, like, pulled you towards that? I, I just, I got tired of seeing kids get suspended, you know, for sometimes menial things that, like, you know, they could have received counseling or, you know, other services for um, and then I started noticing that there are mostly kids of color, right? Um, and then I noticed that when the kids came back from suspension, like, it's not like they, quote unquote, learned their lesson, right? You know, like, if they got in a fight, like, it's not like, it's not like they now no longer want to fight the kid, like, it's just like they got caught, right? Um, you know, and while they suspended, like, they're not doing their, their homework, or anything like that. I mean, that, that seems almost unrealistic <clears throat> to, yeah. to happen. I'm sure it happens in some cases, but it just, it wasn't happening. Um, so I just, I didn't really jive with that. Right. And so just for people who may not know, you know, um, restorative justice practices. So can you um, just describe what in your terms, kind of what restorative justice practice looks like versus like traditional practices within the education system? Um, yeah, so, so traditionally, like kids show up, they get taught by teachers, like, you know, teacher is either talking the whole time or, you know, gives students something to do, you know, within groups or, or what, what have you. Um, you know, if anyone bucks that system or talks out of turn or anything, like they're, they're in trouble and they, get sent out, they go to the office and they do it enough, they get suspended or they fight, they get suspended and that sort of thing. So that's like our normal quote unquote, like that's our normal thing. That's, you know, been normal for at least, I wanna say 
20, 30 years, something like that. Um, what we restorative justice is, is that like kids come to school um, and day one, we're focused on like trying to build a community, uh, trying to build uh, relationships between the students and like the adults in the building. Um, and we're trying to build a culture, right? Um, all while sustaining the cultures that they come in with, right? Um, and so what we wanna do is we want to create an atmosphere that kids by and large want to be a part of. Um, so that when we have situations like, you know, students talking out of turn, we can deal with it without like removing the kid from school, right? If uh, two kids get in a fight, we can deal with it in a way that like, if we have to remove students from school, um, that <clears throat> we're able to bring them back and like have, be able to move on from it, like get their voices heard and everything. So. I, I really look at it as like a complete shift in the way that we do things, but it's like, I feel like it's a necessary shift. It's probably what we should have been doing for a long time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, um, in your time practicing, you know, and advocating for restorative justice practices, um, you mentioned minorities just a little bit ago and, you know, it's, it's happening more so with, um, with that population. So what have you, can you discuss like, you know, your practices of restorative, restorative justice with minorities? Yeah. So as I said earlier, community, community has been a big part of it and also like sustaining, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, kids of color, um, that term, you know, encompasses a lot of different cultures, um, a lot of different, I mean, it can look like uh, different religions showing up. It can look like different languages spoken, different styles of hair and belief systems. Um, and they're all coming into one place. And so trying to get them to understand each other, their, their humanity of each other, um, you know, it's, it's a little different when you have like a much more homogenous area but um california is such that you don't really have hum, uh hum, homogenous is uh kind of tricky because of a uh, redlining so you know even if it's like homo uh, homogenous it's likely mixed with a lot of different stuff um but that that being said like uh getting folks to look at each other um for their their humanity is really um, what helps us break down walls to be able to like resolve conflicts. So after a while, um, I've had students that um, looked to um, work out their issues rather than fight, right? So they got to a point where um, fighting became truly a much more like further down on like, the choices realm, um, like talking out, like they, the fact that they know it's potential for them to talk things out, um, started going higher up on the list. Um, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a good thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so going off of 
that. Um, what are your thoughts on the critical race theory and restorative justice justice practices? Man, this conversation in this country about critical race theory is like such the craziest thing for me. Like they they act like it's like some sort of um, brainwashing or some sort of something, something crazy. Like it's like it's it's <laughs> like it's the body snatchers or something. Like you know, or like uh, have you ever seen the movie? Uh, faculty where there's like this, this alien going into different people's brains and like taking over and making them go crazy yeah okay yeah i am i, I am clearly dating myself on that one like, i think <laughs> you can watch that i think you could stream that that somewhere i would have told you to go check it out uh from blockbuster hollywood video but i'd really <laughs> be dating myself uh i digress i'll, I'll have to check that out <laughs> oh yeah it's it's actually good usher usher is in there like usher raymond yeah right okay cool. usher's in there yeah i don't remember if i don't think he sung but like he was he was like a jock you know in that movie um shout out to usher raymond <laughs> <laughs> um so so what critical race theory does is it gives us a, a lens that what to like analyze these different things right mm-hmm. and so being able to being able to look at potential situations and ask how race might have influenced them is important, especially restorative justice, right? Because just blanket using restorative justice and not considering the way race plays a part in our interactions, in our, in, in who gets reprimanded, how they get reprimanded and all that, um, what happens is, you know, it creates more harm than good, especially communities that are already dealing in trauma, right? Um, that's that's the unfortunate thing. Um, you know, just just trying to put into perspective um, why it's easier for community of colors, like communities of color, to experience offense and how the trauma could create that like what sort of trauma comes from that right versus um how someone's practices like just their daily common practices can be um not vilified but rule ruled against like policies like build up just to keep that from happening right um so we're talking about like there there are if I'm thinking about um, my Islamic folks, um, I had students that, you know, they didn't have a place to go and pray, right? Because they have to, they're praying five times a day. They need a space to go and pray, right? And by not allowing to have, like, not allowing them to have that, you're keeping them from, like, taking part in their own culture, Right? Um, I've seen stuff like, you know, um, black girls, like being told to take off like their headscarves or, uh, or, and, and, and black boys being told to, to take off their do-rags. Well, like if you, if you're able to look at that situation through the, through the guise of how race is being impacted, like you start to understand just how, how black hair is so important in that community. Right. And then it starts to make sense why you might have why you might have an issue with black students covering their hair 
if they don't feel comfortable with their hair. Um, it is, it's a place in this, it's a place within schools that we typically, we typically don't address, right? Because we don't look at it through those, through that lens. If we're trying to do restorative justice and we're not, what we're then needing, what we're then trying to communicate to um, the kids that are like going back to the example with the black students, um, we're then trying to explain to them how them wearing and covering their hair negatively impacts the community uh, or negatively impacts folks that it really doesn't impact them. Um, you know, we start having those conversations. We start ignoring the fact that like the, the experiences that they have at home are much different than the experiences that like others have at home. Um, that's what critical race theory gives you. Um, that's its importance. Absolutely. That was very well said. I mean, that was better than I could have ever even imagined to say myself. So. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, throughout the years um, of your experience, you know, what are some of the learned lessons sort of say like that you have come across that have that you have found that have worked really well because you know um there's there's certain practices that you know I'm sure you you mentioned that you um do consultations so in those even you know there's there's things that probably people can be doing to incorporate these things so what are just some of the things that you have found that have worked really well in terms of this practice well, I mean, earlier I talked about um, relationships being important, right? Because, um, you know, part of restorative justice is if, like, you don't have anything that could, like, if you don't have a relationship built or a culture or anything built, you have nothing really to restore, right? <laughs> like, you like you can't blindly, um, you know, start mediating kids that have not, that don't know each other. Like, they have no, they're not invested, right? So, um creating you know like that that's that's a really important thing um but something i learned especially when i became an administrator well like definitely when i became an administrator is how complication like how power dynamics can complicate things right so if you're an administrator and you're trying to run a circle with a bunch of different students it's depending on what the circle is about your presence might keep students from bringing out their true best selves and telling the truth right whereas someone that's like uh, a counselor or um a restorative justice coordinator or or teacher might be able to glean that um because like in the kid's mind, like the, the principal or like the vice principal, like they're at the top of the food chain, right? right? So like if you're admitting to doing something that's not kosher to the top of the food chain, well, like, could you imagine how much like trouble you're going to get into when the vice principal, vice principal calls or the principal calls? Like, um, like, 
those are the those are potentially how the power dynamics can work themselves out. There's also that that idea of like being in a circle, which is you know meant to be, um, you know, everyone is in the community. They're 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 recognized as like having no more or less power, but then you, the adult, exercises your power, mm. right? Is you know whether we want to whether we want to accept it or not, like adults have power over children. Right. Like we can take like we can take bereavement days, like we can take out sick days, like they can't. Yeah. Right. There's they can't. If someone dies, they're expected to keep going back to school, right? Um is what it is. Um if um, our humanity is taken a little bit more seriously than um, the humanity of than the humanity of um, our students, which is again very problematic. It's very problematic. Um, so that's those are things we really need to keep in mind. Um, the power dynamics really, really like the effect that it has on the community is like nuts yeah. absolutely yeah and and with power dynamic i was also thinking like even with the race aspect that we just said earlier you know like even incorporating that as like ver in in the um educator versus or or even just like the administration aspect of it versus like for the kid and how that could also play a role into it Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's big, right? Because, um, you know, it's, it's, I mean, I've, I've, I've talked to parents about this too. Like what a child is going to say in terms of truthfulness in front of you when the effect could be they're in trouble, like they're grounded or their cell phone is taken away or whatever potential punishment that could be levied right um their truthfulness to you in that moment is going to be way different than it is to someone who doesn't have that power he doesn't have the power to do that right right? so and it's also going to be different if they really trust that person that they're having that conversation yeah and it's hard to build up the trust with the person in high high power situations because you're like okay well i know that they have this i know they have this obligation to do to play to have this role and so i don't know that i feel comfortable about talking about this right um and that's real that's real i mean really think about it like how of like how much more afraid are you going to be if you're in the principal's office talking about a fight than you are in your teacher's classroom talking about a fight that you had with another student and trying to like work it out like how much like how much more at ease are you going to feel with that situation absolutely absolutely yeah or or some other teacher that you know you have a really good connection with or like the detention teacher or whatever too it's very different than yeah say the vice principal or the principal yeah 
Oh yeah. And I like, that's the other key there, right? Is that um, one of the, one of the most important things that a school can do is maximize the amount of caring adults they have on campus, right? Because you never know who's going to, who's going to strike up what relationship with what adult. Yeah. Right. You have no idea. You have no idea. Right. Um, you know, you, the principal may not have you, you, the principal should not have like really deep relationships. Like if kids are in your office all the time, like, I'm not saying you should be a jerk, but like, that should not be, that should not be your function. Your function shouldn't be like creating relationships, uh, with kids all the time, because if you're creating relationships with kids, like while they're supposed to be in class, guess who's not creating a relationship with them. (laughs) that's a problem (laughs) yeah yeah like teachers should in a sense like be on the front lines of that but you know you also have other adults on campus that can like that can create relationships unintentionally right so you've got like security guards that they or uh or um what are they called uh noon duty um you know supervisors and um you've got paraprofessionals right because you tend to have a bunch of them they i mean they could they could end up being in a lot of different classes like there's resource teachers there's uh, like i said earlier the counselors there's the social workers right like so there's there's people on campus there's people on campus that students can create relationships with um and should create relationships with um that should come before your relationship with kids right right again i'm not saying you should be walking around campus slapping kids or yelling at them i am saying that like if you're creating like that's an acceptable time to create relationships right after school during lunch before school cool not during class time absolutely right yeah not when they're supposed to be getting that education right absolutely oh definitely and so over, you know, across your years of doing this, what are some of the, so to say, like outcome measures that you have seen over the years? So, you know, how do you, how do you know that your work has been meaningful and fruitful? Well, when I think about the, the number of kids that like we were able to keep in the classroom, hmm. right? And, and like, based on like how um, we were able to do it, like, you know, again, we, we have culture classes, right? Um, whereas, you know, in some in some communities, it is perfectly acceptable for folks to like spout out answers out loud, right? To interact with what's going on verbally, right? It's completely like comfortable within that. Um, it's problematic in the classroom, yes, but it doesn't mean that they're not like engaged in what's going on. And so how do you as a teacher navigate that? And how do you as a teacher, um, you know, working with teachers to get the best out of that situation rather than kick the kid out, right? Because by removing that kid that is basically just showing you that they're, they're engaged and they, they want to be involved, you're distancing them out of like the learning environment that they should be in. Um, and so doing things like, working with teachers to, you know, figure out how to make that situation work, brokering relationships with 
um, and helping to like um, nurture relationships between uh, students and their teachers, um, nurturing relationships between students and students, and finding creative ways to keep to to allow students to learn from their mistakes while allowing them to maximize their time in, in classes. Um, so the goal again is the goal continues to be right. How can we keep not only keep kids in class, but allow them to thrive. Um, and that's, you know, if anything, if anything, um, that's, that's been my, that's been um, the biggest accomplishment that I think I've, I've tried to, to do is keep more kids in class learning. Absolutely. Wow. That was, that was very inspiring, actually. Like that was really, yeah, huh? that, that was really awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was actually all of my questions. So, so. yeah. So thank you so much, um, Victor Small Jr. for coming in to um, speak with me today about restorative justice practices. And I can't wait to continue seeing all the amazing, you know, and meaningful ways that you continue to employ this into the education system. Awesome. Yeah, that's, I'm looking forward to continue to do the best I can with yeah. that. Um, the more folks that like, it's funny too, right? Cause it's like, um, I'm gonna drop some like history on y'all. It's you weren't even like expecting or like, you know, suspension started really when schools started, like um, when student, when schools started integrating. You remember Brown versus Board of Education? Like suspensions really weren't a thing right. until like schools started like integrating. So like, in a sense, this is really a social justice issue that like we just have never we've never addressed this right we've gone like we've gone decades with um more and more students getting suspended and like more and more of them having deeper darking darker melanin right i mean this is a realistic thing um it's it's you know and all we're doing is we're using systems that happen you know, largely before colonization, mm -hmm. like, you know, um, indigenous communities, like came up with this and taught each other. It's like, from like, we're talking, you know, like it, it started with the Aborigines in uh, New Zealand, and it, you know, trade. It's another thing that people have a trouble with wrapping their heads around, like, yeah, culture, like indigenous cultures, traded with one another like they saw each other <laughs> sure there were fights but like they traded knowledge and goods and like they weren't necessarily like staying to themselves right like that's i mean how 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 else can you uh imagine that like restorative justice could occur in new zealand and also in the first nations folks in canada and in indigenous um communities in the united states like 
yeah, they might look different, but like the content and idea is still there. Um, so I just want to throw that in at the end. Like, no, I, yeah, a little bit of history never hurt anybody. So yeah, that's, yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Well, thank you so much, um, Victor, for this amazing conversation. And I mean, the historical background is also so important, right? Because until we learn all of the the historical aspects that have contributed to, to all of this, like we wouldn't really know the root cause or like, you know, what to really impact and kind of like what you said, it's a social justice issue at the end of the day. So, yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you.